No, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and we have found him. Bring him word, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. Morning. Great to see everybody here once again. Good to be in the house of the Lord worshiping uh, during this Christmas season. As you know, we have been uh, working our way through the book of Hosea, but over the next couple of Sundays, we'll have a couple of uh, Christmas messages, and I have the privilege of, of preaching the first one uh, this, this morning. Well, let's go to the Lord in uh, prayer and ask him for his help. Father, the reason that we are here is because Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. We thank you for the privilege of not only singing that truth, but believing it. Thank you, O oh God, that that truth is what has brought us here together. It is Christ whom we are united around. The, it's the gospel, the, the truth that Jesus saves sinners. Oh, we pray that you would come and meet us this morning. Once again, open up our eyes and plug our deaf ears. Clear up our minds so that we might see and hear and know who is the Christ, Jesus, the one, that baby born in Bethlehem. So help us this morning. We need your work. We need your help, oh God. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Christmas, um, the, the song tells us, that it is the most wonderful time of the year. Is that true? Well, <laughs> I guess it depends on who you ask. But I, I believe it is. Um, there's a, 
the, the reason that we, we, we sing that song or we make such a big deal about Christmas is, I think, because of the emotion, joy. You just can't get through the Christmas holiday season without hearing the word joy. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a Christmas where I have not sung joy to the world. We see it on Christmas cards, on, on Christmas greetings, the word joy. It is fitting, isn't it? Is there an emotion that better conveys all that happens during this holiday season? There's fellowshipping, eating, there's candy canes and, and eggnog and stockings and cookie exchanges and Christmas cantatas. It's pure joy. I'm sure you've heard people say, and perhaps you've said it yourself, I wish Christmas was every day. I wish Christmas was every day. What if Christmas was every day? What if I were to tell you that the joy you experience in and around Christmas is the joy that you, if you are a Christian, should experience every day. That is what the Bible says. It doesn't tell us, it doesn't say that you should reserve your joy for certain times of the year. Paul tells the Philippians that they are to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's what he says in Philippians 4 and 4. To the Thessalonians, he simply says, rejoice Always. The disposition of the Christian is to be one that is marked, that is marked with joy. And not just around Christmas time, but this should be uh, our disposition always. Is that your testimony? Can you say that your life is marked out by joy? Always? Or do you only experience joy around Christmas time? If so, if you only experience joy around Christmas time, perhaps it's because you have, you have forgotten why we as Christians celebrate Christmas. Could it be that you only have joy around Christmas because you have bought into the commercial trappings of it all? Christmas trees, the presents, the carols, the, the cards, the stockings. Oh, d d don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Those, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things in and of themselves. I, I mean, I like eggnog. I like Christmas trees. I, I, I like the season. I love the season. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But could it be that you have let Christmas steal your joy? The joy that you should have all year long. If your joy, if your joy only shows up periodically and more intensely around Christmas, then I would submit that you have forgotten that for the Christ Christian, Christmas is about the Christ. When you get that, when you understand that, then every day becomes Christmas. 
because the joy you have at Christmas is the joy you will have and experience every day of your life. Our text this morning helps us focus in on the reason for the joy that we should have, and not just around the Christmas holiday, but lasting joy. Joy always. Most of us, when we read uh, the, the Christmas story around this time of year, we turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel. Luke's account has all the details. It's got the shepherds and the choirs of angels singing. Luke 2 is the one that Linus reads every year on national TV. You do know that. Yeah, okay. You haven't seen it yet. (laughs) Uh, But Matthew has an account for us as well. Matthew has an account for us. Now, there's not as much detail in in Matthew, but it's it's no less important. Matthew's got a different emphasis. In, in his account, he is concerned with the events immediately following and, and the response to the birth of Jesus. And most notably in our text is King Herod and the wise men, also known as the Magi. In these men who we hope to hone in on this morning, Matthew uses these men to show us what God's plan was from all of eternity. And we want to discover how that impacts our joy, always. Important for us this morning are the words we read in Matthew 2 and 10 in our text. It says, when they speaking of the Magi, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Notice what it says. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You think think Matthew was trying to make a point? He wanted to leave no doubt as to what their emotional state was, what the emotional state was of the Magi concerning the birth and concerning finding and locating baby Jesus. They were overcome, overwhelmed with exceeding joy, great joy, the Bible says. But but why? Why? Why were they so joyous? Why were they overcome with this joy? I believe they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because the star had led them to the birth of the king of kings. The king of kings. There in Bethlehem, a king had been born. And not just any king. Here was The king of kings. These wise men, these magi, came from the east following a star to Jerusalem. And and upon their arrival in the holy city, they begin inquiring about the location of he who was born king of the Jews. These men had been told that there was a king, that there was a king coming. 
and, and that he would be greater than David. Perhaps they had read the prophecy of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23 and 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. These, these wise men, it's, it's not much is known, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, not much is known about these these wise men, but some perhaps believe that they were from Babylon, and, and they had run into some Christians who were who, uh, into some uh, Jews who told them about the coming Messiah. And so they, they came to Jerusalem looking for the king of kings. This news of this king of the Jews being born was certainly not news to Herod. It was, it, 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 it was, uh, he was not Jewish himself, but he was familiar with the religion. He knew about the Jewish prophecy of a king who would come and reign over his people. Herod knew. That is why he was afraid. In verse 3, it says, when, king, when, the, when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. The news of the king of the Jews being born in Bethlehem brought fear to Herod, for he, he knew that if this was true, that if this king of the Jews was born in Bethlehem, then his reign was in danger of coming to an end. It is important that we understand who this king Herod was. He was a king that was appointed by the Romans. But, but his, his road to, to, this, to, this, to this office was, was filled with political backbiting and murder. Herod was by no means a good king. He was unpredictable, insecure. One, one, uh, one commentator describes Herod as this. He was a cruel, bloodthirsty tyrant and an increasingly wicked person. He was a king. He was hungry for power, jealous for his throne, and willing to kill in order to keep it. What Herod, King Herod, failed to recognize was that he wasn't in charge anyway. The, the one lying in Mary's arms was the one who possessed all power and authority. That is what Matthew would have us to see in bringing King Herod into the picture for us. He, he may have been a king, but he wasn't the king of kings. Herod was appointed king, but Jesus was born king. The wise men knew this. The wise men, the magi, they knew this. Look, they didn't, they didn't say, they didn't come to Jerusalem and say, we're, we're looking for Jesus. They said, we are looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. That is why they rejoice. The king of kings had been born. And unlike King Herod, Jesus would be a loving and a gracious king. Not a tyrant, not using his power for selfish gain, 
its power and authority would be used for good and not for evil. Jesus would be a shepherd king, graciously loving and leading his people. Think about that for for a second. Isn't that reason to rejoice? Christmas reminds us that the king of kings was born in Bethlehem, and he would be a shepherd king full of love and care for his people. Listen, Jesus is king of kings. I did not say that Jesus was a king. Jesus' kingship is an everyday, present reality. For he sits enthroned in the heaven. And guess what? That is not changing. He isn't just king at Christmas. He reigns every day. And therefore, therefore, we as Christians have no excuse not to be joyful. Zero. We are governed and led by a great and a good shepherd king. Brothers and sisters, understand this. If Jesus has not left his throne, you have no valid, zero zero good reason not to rejoice every day. You don't have joy. You have forgotten that Jesus is still on the throne. You understand that Satan, Satan wants to dethrone Christ. But he can't. He can't can't do it. But because he can't do that, he makes us think, he makes us believe that he can. That's why we lack joy. We think that Christ has left his throne. But beloved, but but brothers and sisters, do not be fooled by the great deceiver. You fight for, for joy. You do what Zechariah tells Israel to do in Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. you righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. You rejoice because Jesus is king. He is the king of kings, reigning on high. Those wise men, that's why they rejoiced. Because the king of kings had been born in Bethlehem. They were also rejoiced because the king kings had been born, but they were also full of joy because Messiah, Messiah had come to save the world. You know, the Magi are some of the most mysterious people in the Bible. The wise men, mysterious. They, 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 kind of, they just show up out of, out of nowhere. I mean, little is known about these, these wise men. Uh, not much is said about them. But what is clear is that they are not Jewish. They were from the east. 
and they came to Jerusalem wanting to worship the king of kings, the king of kings, the king of the Jews. And when the star points that out to them, where the baby Jesus is, they are overjoyed. They are overjoyed because they understand that Jesus had been born, the Messiah had been born to save the world. Now, it's important that you understand what I mean when I say world. I don't mean that Jesus came to save every person who was ever born. What I I mean is that Jesus didn't come just to save the Jews. But he came to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That is what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate through the pen of Matthew by introducing us to these wise men. Here were these wise men from the east, Gentiles, Gentiles who not only know about Jesus, they desire to worship him as Lord and King. This is what this is what God had promised would happen. He told Abraham that through your seed, through your offspring, the nations would be blessed. Isaiah 60 and 3 says, And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephraim. And those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praise of the Lord. These wise men rejoiced because they had been counted among the nations who was brought into the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Christ and they desired to worship him. This is why they were overjoyed. The Gentiles had come from the east and been given knowledge to trust, to see, to know, and to worship the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, do you know at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh? That is what Paul tells the Ephesians, chapter 2 of his letter to them. This is the point Paul is making to the Romans in Romans chapter 11. In, In essence, Paul is saying, do you realize how good God has been to you? Listen, you were not a people. You had no God and no hope in this world. You were far off, lost, content in your sin, blissful in your ignorance, headed for eternal damnation, but God chose to make you a people, and just not any people, but a a royal priesthood. A a holy nation. He decided 
to include you in his plan through the person and work of that baby Jesus born in Bethlehem. And the question is, and you want to walk around joyless. That's why the Magi rejoiced. They understood that they were not a people. They had no God in this world. But God was pleased to lead them to Bethlehem so that they might worship and praise the Savior and be included in the salvation of God's people. That's why they rejoiced. Brothers and sisters, this is why Paul could write, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because to think that we Gentile sinners, not deserving of anything, far off, without hope in this world, now claim as our father the king and as our home his kingdom. You can't help but rejoice, can you? You can't help but rejoice. You can't help but be filled with joy, not just at Christmas, but every day. This is why David exclaimed, restore to me, the, oh Lord, the joy of your salvation. This is why we're joyous. We who are not a people have become a people because of what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters, too many of our lives are marked with joylessness. Joylessness, our, our joy fluctuates with, with the seasons. It comes and goes with, with the holidays. This ought not be so for the Christian. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem meant that he was bringing joy to the world. Lasting joy that would be for all peoples. Joy that would be the same yesterday today and forever. So I guess if that is true, if that is true, when you think about it, a joyless Christian is really just acting like a spoiled brat. What you are saying is, God, I know you sent your only son for me. I know that I was not a people, but you made me a people. You adopted me into your family. I didn't deserve it. You have blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, but that's not enough. I want more. Sound like a spoiled brat to you? Brothers and sisters, when we, when we don't have joy, that's what we're saying. We're saying Jesus isn't enough. He hasn't, I need more from you. Brothers and sisters, that's why we rejoice every day. We haven't thought about what Christmas means. So the question is, as we read these first 12 verses of Matthew 2, is will you be the joyless king Herod and the chief priests or will you be the overjoyed magi? Matthew sets out the differences for us in the text. He sets out the differences. King Herod and the Jewish leaders have joyless lives that are marked with unbelief and fear. 
unbelief and fear. Israel and King Herod knew about the Messiah. Especially, especially the Jewish leaders. When, when Herod comes and inquire, when, when Herod inquires about this king of the Jews to the, and, and asks the, the, the Jewish leaders, the scribes, to come to him and tell him about this king who was born, they quote Micah 5.2. Look at verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know what is interesting about this reference to Micah chapter 2 is that, I'm sorry, Micah 5 and 2 is that the second half of the verse is probably a reference to 2 Samuel 5 and 2 relating to the coming Messiah. They knew who the wise men were looking for. They, they, they knew who the king of the Jews was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the Messiah. And so they, they tell Herod, yep, the, the baby born in Bethlehem is the Messiah. They knew who was born in Bethlehem, but they didn't care. In other words, they didn't believe. Here are the chief priests and the scribes quoting from the scriptures about the Messiah, possessing all that knowledge, and they still didn't believe. Brothers and sisters, lack of belief leads to a joyless life. Lack of belief leads to a joyless life. Acts the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him how he might gain eternal life. And he, he says that he's kept all the commandments from the beginning. But, but Jesus says, yeah, no, there's one thing you still lack. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And listen to what the rich young ruler says. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He didn't believe, therefore he led a joyless life. He failed to believe that what Jesus could provide was infinitely greater than the, than the world's riches. I think that's what happened to the chief priests and the scribes. They loved their lives too much to drop everything to go and see about the Messiah in Bethlehem. Look, look, this is the Messiah that they had been waiting for. The, the Magi come to Jerusalem looking for the Messiah. They, they say, they tell Herod, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they tell Herod, he's in Bethlehem. They don't go and inquire. They don't, they don't go and see about this Messiah who's been promised, who they've been longing for. They didn't believe. Unbelief leads to a joyless life. Do you know what else leads to a joyless life? Fear. Fear. 
Not only was their life marked with unbelief, it was marked with fear. When word came that, king, that the king of the Jews had been born, Matthew says that Herod, along with all of Jerusalem, was troubled. Herod feared the loss of his throne, and the Jews feared shakeup and turmoil in Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, fear is a crippling emotion. It steals joy. It, it robs you of your joy. And I, I think this is partly why Jesus over and over and over again says, fear not, do, do not be afraid, because when you are fearful, you can't rejoice. You ever wonder why? Paul and Silas are able to rejoice and sing hymns and, and praise God in the midst of a Philippian jail because fear wasn't gripping their hearts. Fear wasn't gripping their hearts. They, they, they believed that God was with them. No fear, just joy. Matthew shows us Belief, unbelief, and fear of the Jewish religious authorities and King Herod. That leads to a joyless life. But he shows us, on the contrary, that a joy-filled life, the joy-filled life of the Magi, is marked with belief, worship, and giving. Belief. I find it so encouraging and amazing that these wise men came to Jerusalem believing what was told to them. Believing it. They, they believed without hesitation or shame. They asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? They didn't come to Jerusalem saying, uh, you know, I know this kind of sounds a little crazy, but there was a, a star that kind of rose up and it started moving across the sky and we decided to follow it. And, and do you, do you, do you, have you heard about this king that's been born in, 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 in Jerusalem? We're looking for him. Have you heard about him? No, they are definitive. They say, we have come to see he who has been born king of the Jews. They, they believed. Their, their life was marked with Belief, and it governed their actions and their attitude. Joy, joy is the daily portion of those who believe what God says. Each day, each day we wake up, we have an opportunity to trust and believe God. Am I going to believe the lies Satan tells me? Or am I going to believe what God says? Am I going to believe that I have outsinned the grace of God and that he will never accept me? Or am I going to believe that I am forgiven, accepted, and loved by God? Am I going to believe that I can save myself or that salvation belongs to the Lord and he has extended grace and mercy to me? Am I going to believe? that Jesus has left his throne? Or am I going to believe 
that he is reigning in the heaven, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, ever interceding for us. Who are you going to believe? You understand that leads, that has impact for your joy and how you live your life. A, a joy-filled life believes God. I mean, and it impacts your joy. This is what First Peter tells us. This is what Peter tells us. We, we quoted it for a year in our invocation. First Peter 1, 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Your belief has impact for your joy. A joyous life is a life marked by belief. But it's also a life marked by worship. The wise men, the wise men worship Jesus. Look at verse 11. The baby Jesus. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. These wise men had come to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. And when they saw him in Bethlehem, they did that very thing. They, they, they entered the home and they fall prostrate before this baby Jesus, before the king of kings. Brothers and sisters, a joy-filled life is marked by worship. You are so, you are so overjoyed that you can't help, but you can't help but worship. People of Israel break out in song as they cross the Red Sea. Just, just praising God for his salvation. David dancing at the return of the Ark of the Covenant praising God, worshiping him because of all the blessings that he had received. Brothers and sisters, joy found in Christ leads to worship. Not worship. Not worship leads to giving. Leads to giving. Joy-filled lives are lives that give. After falling prostrate in, in worship of King Jesus, the Magi present him with gifts. Verse 11, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. <laughs> they express their joy by worshiping and offering gifts to the king. How instructive to be a joyful Christian is to be a giving Christian. We, we express that during this time of, of year and at Christmas time. We, we give gifts, gifts showing our joy for people and our, and our love for them. Brothers and sisters, the Christian should have joy every day of the year and be expressing that in, in giving to one another. Joy-filled Christian gives 
oh, that's, that's the differences that Matthew sets out for us. The joylessness of King Herod and the chief priests and the scribes versus the joy-filled life of the wise men, the magi, who demonstrated in their belief, they demonstrated in their worship, and they demonstrated in their giving. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is indeed a joyful time. I mean, it's great. I love this. Last week we, we, we had um, the, the hymn sing at the Cardinals. This is a wonderful time of rejoicing and singing. If you've never had a, had a, had a, uh, had a hymn sing with the binos, you are missing out. Joyous time. But for the Christian, what we celebrate at Christmas should remind us that we ought to be living joyful lives every single day. Christmas should be every day for the Christian. Do not, do not let Christmas steal your joy. Let it spur you on. Let it spur you on to rejoicing, not just at Christmas, but always. Christmas joy, always. That's the Christian life. Let's pray.